Um, this morning, I, uh, oh, thanks. Um, I want to build off of where we've been the last couple weeks, um, but I don't want to move too quickly out of that, that heart and that spirit of worship that was just so sweet, that time we got to spend with the Lord, ministering to Him and being ministered to Him, to being ministered to by Him. Uh, that was just so, so sweet. Would you guys help me in thanking our worship team for just, man, doing a great job of hearing from God? Last week, if you remember, we uh, were talking about those Selah moments, and we were pausing to reflect. We were remembering the things that God has done um, in thankfulness. We were remembering the things that he had done to remind us, uh, forward-looking, that he can do it again, that the mountains that we face, he's moved before. And, and so it was a time of encouragement and of reflection and of, and of thanksgiving. But it was also, we, we kind of within that same thought and with that same pause, uh, we were also considering our ways. We were talking about, you know, are we doing things the way that we need to be? Are we running forward just in the flesh? Are we leaning on, on God and are we trusting him? And kind of everything that happens when you have those moments of reflection and of pause. And I want to kind of uh, continue that as we, as we look forward we expect and we anticipate that, that God is doing something really unique. I mean, 2020 has been a year. Uh, someone had emailed me or sent me a link last week, and uh, it was a link to a website that was called um, COVID Standard Time. So instead of like Central Standard Time, COVID Standard Time. And so I was curious. I was like, I, I don't know what this is going to be. I clicked on it, and it, and it just it was a white page with just a little bit of black text, and it had the time. And I looked up at my clock, and it was like 11.32 or something, and it said 11.32 a.m., and I was like, okay, so far, you know, the same. And then it said March 192nd, 2020, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that kind of, that feels about right. Like, it's somehow still, you know, like, we've been frozen in time, and at the same time, like, it feels like it's been forever, and I don't know, all these things. So, so within this, we, we know that God's been doing things, but as a leadership team, as we pray and as we press into his heart, we don't think that he's winding down or that he's wrapping up. Instead, we think that he's just getting started. And we're not sure what that's going to look like. We, um, we think at some point there's going to be some more shaking, that it's not just uh, smooth sailing from here on out as, as God builds and works and does these things. But we think that as a church, we're, we're headed into a building season. And what I want for us to do this morning as a family is to continue to consider our ways so that we don't miss it. Uh, I have great expectation and anticipation for what God is going to do for our congregation, for our, like the collective family that we are, but then also for each of our individual families, for our like natural families as well. And I wouldn't want for any of us to miss it for any reason. Um, as we dive into this, uh, I'm going to kind of start broad and then get really specific and, and you'll see that there are dozens of reasons why in, in the text, in, in the different history and stories of the Bible, we see different people nearly miss what God is doing um, for, for dozens of different reasons. But then we're going to kind of hone in on, on a handful of them as we close out the morning. So, um, so we believe God is doing something great. We think that he's going to build. Um, to give some, some clarity to that, to build, that feels nebulous and kind of generic, uh, we really think that both in the spiritual and in the natural, God is going to do some building. Uh, we think that God is going to continue to build on our worship, 
that our worship is going to become even greater, more sincere, uh, more intimate. We believe that he's going to continue to build on our revelation, that we're going to understand greater things about him. Uh, We also believe that in the natural, he's going to build on our favor, and he's going to build um, our reach and our, um, our network and the lives that we're able to touch and the territory that we affect. And so we, we anticipate that this building is going to be both very, like, very practical and, and, and spiritual at the same time. But it's going to look different than what we anticipate um, just by the very nature of God being who he is. His ways are higher than our ways, right? And so if we're not careful, uh, we could run forward and we could say, oh, well, this feels right or this looks right or God did this before, so this is probably how he'll do it again. And we might actually miss what he's wanting to do. So uh, would you open your hearts with me uh, this morning to, to be receptive to how God wants to, wants to build? Would you do that with me? Excellent. In 1 Corinthians, let's flip there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to use this to kind of set the tone for this morning. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and, uh, and we're going to pick it up kind of mid-stride. He says, verse 14, First Corinthians two, "But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those, those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know, and he's quoting here, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. So he's comparing and contrasting two groups of people. People who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. That's that's us, born-again Christians. We're filled with the Spirit of God. Um, He's comparing those to people who are operating out of their natural flesh. And he says that, that in the natural... Who can know the thoughts of the Lord? Who can understand his ways? Who, could, who knows enough to teach him? No one. It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is, is no one. But uh, he says those who have the spiritual, those who, who, he says we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ by the Spirit of God. We can understand these things. So what I want us to do this morning is ask that the Holy Spirit would empower us, that as we read through these words that he's given us, that we would um, have that understanding, that we wouldn't rely or lean on our natural understanding our natural intellect, but instead we'd lean into the Spirit and ask Him to reveal these things to us. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we need your help. We don't want to be natural people trying to do this in our own understanding or in our own intellect. Instead, we want to lean into the Spirit that you've given us, and by that power, we want to understand your thoughts and your ways and to see what you're doing so that we can partner with it instead of working against it. We want to partner with you instead of working against you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's uh, a, a really interesting story in Judges chapter 14, and we're going to go there, and we're going to talk about uh, the life of Samson for just a, a few moments. Uh, Samson comes during a time when the Israelites are supposed to be living in their promised land, but they keep, um, they keep kind of waffling. They're, they'll serve God for a bit, and then they'll sort of drift and, you know, values leak and vision drifts and they'll, they'll end up uh, serving some pagan gods or they've got some idols or they've, they've drifted far from the law that God gave them. And so the Lord in his goodness will raise up a judge that will kind of conquer the enemies in their land and will turn the Israelites back to the Lord and, and they'll, they'll be good for a little while. But then, you know, a generation or two will pass and, 
and they'll kind of drift some more, and then the Lord will raise up another judge. So that's the, the whole book of Judges just kind of tracks a lot of this. And so we're going to jump in. Judges chapter 14, Samson is born to a couple who previously haven't been able to have children, and an angel appears to the, to the wife and says, hey, you're going to have a son. Uh, the Lord's going to use him mightily, uh, and, and they, the Lord sets him apart in some different ways. And so he's born, and, and when we're jumping in, Judges 14, verse 1, uh, Samson's coming of age, and he's ready to, to get married and have a family. It says, Judges 14, verse 1, One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, A young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. He says, I want to marry her. Get her for me. And his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. She's hot. Verse 4, his father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. So the Lord's raising up this judge in Samson, and he's supposed to be uh, fighting the enemies and turning the country back to the Lord, and instead he's wanting to marry one of them. And his parents are like, no, this is a bad idea. Like, please don't do this. But verse 4 very plainly lays it out for us. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this. Uh, In the ESV version, it says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking opportunity against the Philistines. There are lots of opportunities for us um, to miss what God is doing. Because in seasons of shaking, all throughout the Bible, and I've got, I've got seven pages of notes up here, guys. Like, there's a ton of examples where this happens, where in seasons of shaking, um, the Lord does something very unusual. You know, we would have expected Samson to marry an Israelite and then to go to war against the Philistines. And instead, he tries to marry a Philistine woman, and it's very backwards. And actually in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord tells the Israelites, hey, don't marry the foreign people. And he lays out kind of seven other, seven of the nationalities in the promised land that he says, don't marry these people, don't marry these people, don't marry these people. The Philistines aren't one of them, but it's still understood, like, we shouldn't be marrying the pagans. And so even though it doesn't directly go against the, the law, which the Lord's usually pretty good about not going against himself, but, um, but it still felt like a really bad idea. And so in the natural, his parents, like, if I was there, if I was like some uncle or something, I'd be like, Samson, your parents are right. Don't marry this girl. This is a terrible idea. But there was something that the Lord was doing. And I think if we're not careful for one reason or another, because we, you know, either we don't understand it or we think it looks like a bad idea, it could be easy for us to just write something off and be like, no, 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 please don't do that. And we might find ourselves working against the very thing that God's wanting to do. And that sounds like a scary thing. There's a, there's a preacher that I like to listen to, and he had, a, he had a dream recently where he was talking about he saw Jesus moving, moving like in a direction, and different people were, were kind of standing. Some were excited, and some were waving, and some were in his way, and he was just like moving them, and just like boom. And he comes up to the preacher in this dream. The preacher's having a dream. He comes up to him, and, and he, I forget how he phrases it exactly, but it was something like, are you going to stand in my way too? And the guy was like, no, I don't, I don't want to be in your way. And what I was seeing is that, like, in through these different examples, there are times where 
we think we're doing something for God, like, and, and we actually might be doing it wrong. And so I want to talk about it. There's a, a dozen different reasons, and it could be any one of them, but we're going we're gonna to focus on a, on a couple this morning. I want us to jump now to Mark 8. We're going to have a lot of scripture this morning, so just bear with me. We're going to jump to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. To set this up, because we're bouncing around a lot, uh, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus has recently fed the, the 5,000. He took some loaves and fish and multiplied it and fed a whole group of people. They had, they had virtually nothing, and then he turned it into a lot of something, and they fed everyone and had leftovers. Then he gets in the boat, and he goes across the water, and he... And he and he lands, and the religious elite are there. The Pharisees are there. And the first thing they want to talk to him about is they say, show us a sign. Prove that you really are who you say you are. Now, Jesus' whole ministry has been filled with miraculous works. So, like, anyone who is halfway interested or even halfway accepting of, of, of Jesus and himself has seen these miracles and have said, wow, this guy is, is pretty great. But the Pharisees have seen this and instead have said, well, he's doing it by the power of the devil or, you know, he's empowered by Beelzebub or whatever. And he's, they're, they're throwing accusations at him. So he lands now and, again, they're still super critical, very cynical, and they're saying, um, prove that you are who you say you are and, and show us a sign. And Jesus isn't, isn't going to play into their hand. And so he, instead he says, no, 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 I'm leaving. So he gets back in the boat. And as they're rowing, we pick up in Mark chapter 8, verse 14. It says, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, exclamation point. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, he said why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? I want to unpack this for just a little bit. I, I think there's, again, there's a dozen or so reasons that we could miss what God's doing. Maybe it's uh, because it, it feels contradictory. Maybe it's because it feels like a bad idea. Maybe because it's, it's unexpected. Maybe it's because it's this or it's that. But I think two of the reasons that hit the hardest in this season is the, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. The Pharisees being that kind of religious spirit. These people who, they were so into the scriptures and they were so into the law that God had given and they were doing kind of all the right things the wrong way. And then you've got uh, the yeast of Herod, which is kind of this political spirit or, or just the, the world system and that it's operating and and Jesus was warning his disciples. He had just encountered the yeast of the Pharisees. They had landed, and the Pharisees were like, well, give us a sign and prove it and do this and that. And he was like, you guys don't get it. And so they left. And, and he's warning his disciples about this. And I think in, in 2020, when we find ourselves now, an election year with, uh, with just a lot going on, kind of anywhere you look, no matter what channel you're on, it feels like there's a lot shouting at you. It would be easy to get caught up in, in either one of these these spirits, to, to be caught up in a religious spirit or caught up in a political spirit, that, that world system. And, and what I want to look at is kind of, if we zoom out a little bit, uh, I don't have just one 
one verse to point you to. But if we zoom out a little bit, in the Gospels, we see Jesus show up, and the Pharisees, the religious people, want to kill him. And then you've got Peter, when, when Jesus says, hey, the Son of Man has to go, and he has to be persecuted and, and die. Peter pulls him aside and says, well, Jesus, no, you shouldn't do this. And he says, you can't die. Like, you're not thinking about this right. And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. So you've got one group that wants to kill him for the wrong reason, and you've got one, one guy that wants to save him for the wrong reason, both of them doing the opposite, and Jesus says, both of you guys are wrong. So there are times where we can do the right thing the wrong way, kind of the Pharisees, or we can do the wrong thing the right way. I think Peter's heart was in the right place. I think he was saying, no, 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 like, you're the Savior. Like, don't give up. Like, don't stop now. Like, you're, you're doing this. But that wasn't the pep talk that Jesus needed in that moment. It was, the, it was the wrong thing with the right heart. But for the Pharisees, it was, the, it was the right thing. Jesus needed to die. He needed to go to the cross. But they were doing it the wrong way. Like, that's not, they wanted to kill him. And he was from the very person that they were claiming to worship. But that's a religious spirit at work. Now, thankfully, uh, the context in culture today, like, we don't have Baptists that are trying to kill charismatics. You know, like, that's not where we're at. But our, today, the, the religious spirit is a lot sneakier. It's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more subversive. And it'll look like um, better than-ism. It'll look like uh, some judgment. It'll look like, oh, well, I lifted my hands higher in worship. Or our church service is longer than yours, so clearly we love the Lord better. And, and this kind of elitism sneaks in as like a religious spirit. And it, and it comes to bring division when instead of building the kingdom of God, we're now all of a sudden like looking down our nose at at others and, and judging them or, or you don't know the Lord or this or that and, and manifest in a hundred different ways. It's a little more subversive now than it was, was with the Pharisees and with Jesus. That was fairly blatant, but, um, but it's still so prevalent. Doing the right thing the wrong way. And, and so this gets complicated to speak to because it's, it's not just actions. It's not just a checklist of, okay, well, I didn't do this wrong, and I didn't do this wrong. It's not, it's not as easy as, like, well, I didn't murder, or I didn't lie, or I didn't. It's not just a checklist of, of sins. It's, it's a heart condition, and it's being careful that what we're doing has the Spirit of God with it, and, and that we're not just moving forward in the natural, but instead we're, we're really checking everything by the, by the Spirit. Let me give you two, uh, two illustrations of this to help help this make sense. Um, how many of you as a family, you own a, uh, a trampoline? Any trampoline people? Okay, cool. I grew up, uh, as a kid, we had a trampoline, and we got into a bunch of fun and accidents on the trampoline, so kind of a mixed bag there. I loved it. My parents thought it was a liability. In the end, I think they were right. Like, now as a dad, I realize, yeah, that was dangerous, the way we used it. Um, but I, we got a trampoline recently for Ryan Kate, our, our four-year-old. And it's one of those real small ones, and it's got a net. Mine didn't have a net when we were a kid. And it was tall, and you could just jump straight onto the ground. This one's got a net, and so we, you know, you throw the kids in, and you zip it up, and they're pretty good. You can't hurt too much, because it's all, you just, it's like a padded, you just fall, and it's all fine. But some friends had reached out, and they are like, hey, you know, long story short, we've got this, we've got this trampoline, uh, we think Ryan Kate would love it. Do you want to take it? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, come over to the house. We'll pack it up and you can take it. So I get there and we're, we're disassembling it. But I've got a pretty big car. So I thought, okay, let's not take it all the way apart because then I'll have to build it from square one. Like, I don't want to do that. 
let's make this easy on me. Let's just assemble. It's a circle, right? So let's just disassemble half of it, and then we'll kind of fold it in half, and that'll fit in the car. You know, you pop off the legs, and it shrinks down. This will be great. So I do that, and we get it home, and I drag it out outside, and, I'm, and I unfold it. So, you know, half a circle, whole circle. And then I start to, like, try to do the springs, and I don't get very far, and I am pulling, and I am pulling, and I am working so hard. And those springs just, they feel like they're too short. But I know, like, I helped take it apart. I'm like, these were the springs that were on it. They were just 20 minutes ago. These springs fit, and now all of a sudden, they don't fit. And I'm trying, and so, and I don't know how to illustrate this without showing you guys, but it's a circle. And what I found out later, because I had to Google this, because originally I was like, I don't need instructions. It's a trampoline. There's three parts. You've got a tarp. You've got springs, and then there's a frame, and that's it. It's not complicated. Like, I've assembled way harder things than this. So, uh, so I didn't think I needed instructions. Two hours later, and now it's dark, and I can't do it. I go inside, and I'm Googling, how do you install or assemble a trampoline? And I find out there's a very specific order that you have to do the springs, uh, because otherwise you're fighting all the tension. So I had left all the springs on one side, and so now I'm pulling against what would be like, I don't know, some thousand pounds of foot pressure fighting me uh, against this tarp. What you have to do is you have to start one spring. So I had to go, I had to disassemble all of them. And so this work that I thought I was saving myself, I actually added like three hours of unnecessary torture because I wasn't doing it the right way. I was doing it in a way that made sense, but it wasn't the right way. Does that, are you guys getting what I'm saying now? There is a way that logically we think, oh, this makes sense, I'll do this, and then there's God's right way. So I had to go back, and I had to do one spring, and then you had to go to the other side and do the other spring, and then you had to go. And it's almost like uh, when you torque down the tires on your car and you have to kind of do like a star pattern. That's how this was so that you're not fighting against all of the springs, but instead like each spring is kind of helping you build it. That's if you ever need to build a trampoline. <laughs> the second thing, and this, one, this one's a little more uh, whatever. This is a second story. On Friday, uh, we had, uh, I think it was Friday, we had 9-11. It was the 19th anniversary commemorating the, the tax on the towers. Uh, very somber, very sad. You know, our hearts go out with the victims. But what I was seeing on, on social media is a lot of the, like, 9-11, never forget. And for the last, you know, 18 years, I thought, yeah, 9-11, like, never forget. Like, I'm from Texas. We've got the Alamo. We lost that battle, and we're still like, yeah, remember the Alamo. So I'm all for remembering things. But, um, but this year it hit differently because all that week I had, been, I had been kind of in this. And I was thinking about, like, there's, there's kind of our way and then there's God's way. And in seasons of shaking, uh, God's way does it, does it differently. And so I'm thinking about this and I'm like, oh, like, you know, so what is, I see it this way. I say 9-11, never forget. Lord, what are you saying? And what I felt in my spirit was, was 9-11, always forgive would be kind of like Jesus' approach to it. And that kind of hit me like, oh, I've never thought about it in terms of forgiveness. I'm thankful that I'm forgiven, but I'm not that quick to extend it to the people that Jesus talks about, like pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you. And that becomes like a pretty foundational thing in his teachings. Um, but what I was noticing is it's, it's even uh, more nuanced than that. So I've got a friend who's, who's quickly becoming like family to me and, um, and he's a first responder, and, and so he's, he's on staff with a fire department. And, and so 9-11 hits a little differently for first responders. Um, 
And so for, for him, the never forget is, is remembering the first responders who ran into danger that day, who, who saw a building on fire, saw something terrifying that people were running away from, and they ran into, and ultimately a lot of them gave up their life to try and save someone else. And Jesus describes that as the greatest love, to lay down your life for someone else. And so when he thinks of never forget, he thinks of like the people who were quick to give up their own life to save someone else. But for me, not a first responder, for years I've, I've heard it more as like a war cry of like, oh, like we're going to get them back or we're going to have like revenge or we're going to go to this 10 plus year war trying to establish and do something, which I, I'm not, I don't understand at all, but but it, I had seen it that way. And so it's even more nuanced. When we, when we think about our way of doing things and God ways, God's way of doing things, sometimes it's not just turn left or turn right. Sometimes it's the heart we have when we turn right. Sometimes it's just the way that we, it's the, the heart attitude, the heart position of how we're doing these things. Going back to kind of those, those, those spirits, that religious spirit, that world system, the Pharisees killed Jesus and ultimately, Jesus had to die for our sins. So they did the right thing, but they did it the wrong way. And, and, and Peter wanted to see Jesus become the Messiah and, and the Savior of the world. But he was doing it the wrong way. And, and we see this in another place, too. I want to look at David's life. Uh, let's see. This is in the Bible. Let's find it. First Samuel. Okay, first Samuel. So if you remember, David, uh, the shepherd boy who gets called in during King Saul's reign, and uh, he gets an anointed by the prophet, the man of God, and uh, he says, you're going to become the next king, and David's like, cool. And then the prophet leaves, and David goes back to being with the sheep. And it wasn't this, like, overnight success story. In fact, it was years in the making. And so um, David... Uh, you know, sometime later, he goes out. Goliath is there. He's taunting the armies of the Lord, and and uh, he's taunting the Israelites. And he's like, whatever. And, and David's like, ah, oh, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Which is like a huge insult. And and then he's like, I'm going to kill him. And he goes out there again. This is kind of another. This is a whole side side trail. But he goes out there with a slingshot. Like he's taking on a giant, a man of war with a slingshot. So again, like, God's ways aren't always our ways. And, and Saul, at the time, was even trying to direct David out of it. He's like, no, 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 a slingshot's not a good idea. Here, take my sword. Like, take my weapon. Don't go to, don't bring a knife to a gunfight, is what Saul was saying. And David was like, no, 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 trust me. This is going to be great. And so, and so there are times, like, even well-meaning, we can tell people, like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. But again, like, we have to check it by the, by the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, Spirit, what are you trying to do? God, what are you really trying to do? And how, how should we fight this battle? How should we do this thing? Not just what makes sense. A sword made more sense. But David was like, no, no, no I'm going to do a slingshot. That's not even the story I want to stop on. So David kills a Goliath. Um, uh, they come back. Everyone's excited. These people are singing stories. Like, I'm, I'm moving quickly through the, through the timeline of his life. Um, the people in the street are singing stories. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. Uh, David becomes this incredible man of war. Then Saul starts to get super jealous of him, uh, tries to kill him several times. David is now running. So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. David is on the run. He's now an outlaw, um, which is like 
a wild story. If you've got time this week, go back and, and reflect or read on it. But he's anointed to be king in this country and then becomes an outlaw in that same country. So that's kind of weird. But First uh, Samuel 25, there's a man of God talking to, to David, and he says this in First Samuel 25, 29. He says, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. And so, so David hears this, and it's a word from the Lord, but it's kind of contradictory. You are being chased by those who seek to kill you. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. It's like, if I'm having to run, if I'm being chased, I don't feel very safe, right? Because if you're safe, you just stop running and then the chase is over. Have you guys ever played chase with, like, your kids or a friend and one or both of you stops running? The game's over. Like, it's, it's done. There's no more chasing as soon as you stop running. But David is still having to run because there is a very real threat on his life. And so it, this word from the Lord is like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust it even though I don't see it. Like, I'm still running from my life. But you're saying I'm safe, but I don't feel very safe. And I'm, all of this. Jump to the next chapter. Samuel 26, verse 9, David and, uh, and one of his guys, Abishai, they sneak into the enemy's camp. And, well, I say the enemy's camp. This is Saul's ra- uh, hunting party. They're trying to find David and kill him. And so these are the guys, uh, the mercenaries, that have a hit out on David's life. And David is hiding in a cave, and they see them make camp. And so night falls, and they all go to sleep, and David and his boys, like they roll into camp, and they're standing there looking at Saul. Like, they're right next to him. This is where we pick up the story. Again, Saul's trying to kill David. David is there. Saul is asleep. This feels like the perfect, like, oh, I'm going to fulfill this word of the Lord. Like, I'm going to make sure that my life is safe and that, what was it, the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. So that's where we're at. Chapter 26, verse 9. God has surely handed your enemies over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. What they do later is they taunt him from the other side. They're like, hey, look, we could have killed you, but we didn't. Please stop trying to kill us. And, uh, and in this, we see, we see Abishai, who, who kind of gets caught up in this political spirit that we're talking about. He's, he's seen David kill lots of people before. He's, David's this great commander. You know, he's killed his tens of thousands. And, and so now, he's clearly got an enemy. Saul's trying to kill him. So... You know, this feels like it would very easily fall under some sort of, like, stand-your-ground law or make-my-day law where it's like, okay, we could do this. Like, you're trying to kill me. I can defend myself. But David says, no, 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 we're not going to do that way. Even though there's, like, this prophetic word that says, like, but the lives of your enemies will disappear, David still understands this isn't the way the Lord wants to do it. But Abishai's like, no, like, I want you to be king, which is the prophecy. I want you to, like, live in peace, which is the prophecy. I want you. And he's even, like, leaning into these things that God has done before and that God has said, but he's not thinking about it the way God is thinking about it. And he's not seeing it from heaven's perspective. And so it's real easy to have the right heart, the right intention, but to still go about things the wrong way. 
David had to correct him and say, no, we're not killing Saul. The Lord forbid it that we kill Saul. But that leaves Abishai confused because he's like, well, what are we doing? Like, I brought a spear. Like, you could have told me to leave this. Why are we doing this? Doing the right thing the wrong way. Doing the wrong thing the wrong way. Um, In Acts chapter 10, let's find that one. Acts chapter 10. So we talked about kind of this political spirit. Abishai gets caught up in. He's like, no, I want you to be the king. I don't want this guy to be the king. And think about, think about that for the moment, just because we're in an election year. Saul, the Lord had already said, I'm going to take away the kingdom from Saul. He had already said, I'm going to give it to David. And so they were in a monarchy so that Abishai didn't have a vote. But he was about to vote with his spear, right? And he was about to be like, no, 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 like, this is the Lord's anointed I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote this guy out of office so that this guy can be in office. But the Lord was like, no, I'm going to do it differently than that. Now, that's not some sort of, like, veiled attempt to say we don't need to vote. I think, I think we have a civic duty to stop at red lights, pay our taxes, and vote. And I think, like, as, as you know, because, we're, because we live here, like, that's what we, we need to do. But um, I, think we should, I think we should check uh, who and why we vote for the people we vote for, not just because, like, oh, well, logically it made sense, but I think, like, it only takes a minute to ask God, like, God, but who do you want me to vote for? And, and we could easily be Abishai and just be like, oh, no, like, the Lord said, like, this guy's this, guy's this and this guy's that, and so, like, let's just get him out, um, or let's make sure we don't vote for him, or whatever your political affiliation is, and we could very easily do that. And we need to make sure that we're David in, the, in that situation and saying, okay, no, but like, how does the Lord see this? Even though he's already said these things and we could very easily run with this, what is the Lord saying today in this moment about how I found myself? Okay, so that's kind of political spirit. Let's look at uh, the religious spirit a little bit. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Um, Peter is on the roof and he's hungry. And that's where we find him. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill. Eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. Which, like, have you guys ever just flat out told the Lord no? Like, that's bold. There's been lots of times where God's asked me to do something, and I'll be like, yeah, 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 okay. And then just, like, not do it. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been so bold as, like, to know that I was having a, an encounter with the Lord and just be like, no, Lord, I'm not doing it. That's where Peter's at. It says, no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Hold on. Wrong sheet. Again, seven pages of notes, and uh, we're not going to go through all of it. Okay. Same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Three times. So one wasn't enough. The Lord was really trying to drive it home to Peter. Three times. Verse 17. Peter was very perplexed. Like, that wasn't clear enough because for years... The religious system in that day, Peter was Jewish. He said, you can't eat these certain things. On the sheet was a mix of things. It was things that they could eat and things that they couldn't eat. It was all sorts of 
animals and reptiles. It wasn't just like bad things. It was all sorts of things. And so it's thought to assume, the commentators and the Bible scholars say it was probably a mix of things he could eat with things he couldn't eat. But because the voice said, kill and eat it all, he was like, no, I can't do that. So he's perplexed, he's confused, and he's thinking about this. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius, who was a Gentile, found Simon's house, standing outside the gate, again, because they're, they're Gentiles and this is a Jewish house and they're not supposed to interact and be together. And they stand outside the gate. They asked if a man, Simon Peter, was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, he still didn't understand it, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men came looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So years of religious tradition and even some of like the old covenant laws had prevented the Holy Spirit from really going out to the Gentiles. But now all of a sudden, Peter has this vision from the Lord three times, kill and eat, and he's like, no, that's not clean. He says, don't call it unclean, what I've made clean. And then all of a sudden, these, in, within minutes, the Gentiles show up, and they're like, hey, is there a guy named Simon here, or uh, Peter? And, and Peter, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, go with them, these Gentiles, and, and go and do this thing. And so he goes, skipping down a little bit, Acts 10, verse 28, Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. It was really this like shift for Peter that he had been in and, and was about to miss what God was doing because it went against his religious norms. And I think a lot of times a religious spirit will do that. You know, it, it's easy to get caught up in what's either comfortable or normal or practical or tradition and say, no, church needs to look like this or church has to do this or I have to go to church. And, and as we reevaluate all that language, as, you know, and, and it took a shaking to do that, but as we reevaluate all of that and what our services look like and how we go out and how we try to minister throughout the week and not just think that like this is the sum of, of like, oh, my Christian duty, like I attended a service. But as we make these big shifts, like, we're also bumping up against that same religious spirit sometimes that Peter hit of, well, God, like, I've, no, I've always done it right. I've always, I've never missed a Sunday morning. And he's like, no, it's bigger than Sunday morning. Like, I want you to go out and be the church, not go to church. And Peter there is like, no, but, like, I'm ministering to, to your people. And God's like, no, I want you to minister to all people. Later on, there's this, uh, there's this assembly of, like, the early church leadership. And, and the disciples come back, and they're like, hey, We've been ministering to the Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit is being poured out there as well. We can't deny that God is moving in their lives. And the assembly is like, okay. And they, like, discuss it, and they're like, all right. Then God is also for the Gentiles. And, then, and it becomes like a whole, like, formal thing where now we're on this side of it where we just feel like we've always been accepted by God. But there was a moment where, like, this watershed of, of all of a sudden we weren't, and then we were. And it was like, oh, yeah, like, now we get to be grafted in, and there's a whole ministry to them. But it was it was beautiful, and it, and it could have been missed, at least by Peter. He might have missed his part in it, I believe, because God, God will do what he wants to do. We see in the story of Esther, Mordecai's speaking with her, and she's got this position of power, and he says, hey, you've got to use your power to save these people. And she's like, I don't know. And he says, listen, if you don't do it, uh, the Lord will get it done somehow, but you're not going to get saved. Like, you're not going to be rescued in it. And, and I think the same is true for Peter, like, Hey, the Lord would have ministered to the Gentiles regardless. Peter had an opportunity to be a part of it. And thankfully, after the third time the Lord telling him, 
and then the Holy Spirit speaking to him, he was like, okay, yeah, I get it now. Um, and so I just pray that the Lord has that grace with me, that like, okay, God, when I'm bumping up this thing and I think, no, like, like religious spirit, I've always done it this way, or political spirit, no, like, I, I disagree with that person, or I don't like that way of doing it, or whatever, I hope that the Lord has grace with me to speak to me three times, and then speak to me again in a different way, the fourth, and, and help me in those regards. So let's, let's, let's do that. Let's ask for heaven's perspective. Can we do that? Father, we, we need you to move in our hearts. Not just a one-time move, uh, but we need your Holy Spirit hour by hour and day by day that in everything that we're doing, that we wouldn't just go with what feels natural, but instead that we would check it with you and we would see like, okay, Holy Spirit, are, is this... Is this what you do? Am I, am I getting caught up in a swirl or am I getting caught up in this thing or in that thing? And Father, I pray that you would help us. Let's look at one more, one more verse. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Peter is writing to a group of Christians kind of throughout what would be modern day like Italy area and, and beyond. And he's, he's speaking to them, and he says this in verse 17. Respect everyone, and love the family of believers. Fear God, and respect the king. I think in uh, today, we sort of take that in stride, and we think, okay, yeah, that's good. Like, we can do all those things. But I was reminded earlier this week that when Peter was writing this to that group, um, Nero was was the emperor. He was... He was ruling that area, and Nero was actively persecuting Christians and killing them. And, and Peter writes, fear God and respect the king. And I just think, wow, that is a level of spiritual maturity, I guess you would call it, and, and kind of connectedness with the spirit to not lose sight of his political rights or to not get caught up in this, well, like, well, like, they're, uh, you know, they're trying to take away our rights as Christians, and we need to fight back. And he still reminds the believers, like, fear God first. That is first and foremost. But then, as much as you can, respect the king. The king who is clearly doing evil, murdering Christians. That's, that's pretty bad. And, and he still had this way to respect him. And, um, and so I think that there's more that we could do. I, I think, and I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but there are, there are different things that we see pop up. And it would be very easy to just get caught up in the swirl of it and to take it and run and say, yeah, like this is wrong and that's wrong. We need to cancel this or boycott that or do this. And I just wonder, like, is that how Jesus would do it? Is that what the Holy Spirit is asking of us to do right now? Because there are times where, like, man, he does things uniquely. He does things differently. We'll see him do this and do this and do this. And then all of a sudden the change up. It's, uh, it's, uh, so there's a lot that we have to just be walking with him step by step. We can't just rely on what we saw him do once or what he's done before or what we read one time. Like it's got to be this fresh thing with Holy Spirit. Um, let me give you uh, one more thing. Uh, where is it at? Romans, Romans 10, 17. Okay. So we're talking about not getting caught up in a, in a political spirit, not getting caught up in a religious spirit, be, all for the purpose of not missing what God is doing. This isn't just because, um, it, it's certainly not because politics are bad or religion is bad, 
there are some wonderful biblical leaders in the Bible that, that served in politics. Daniel um, served as like uh, in the administration of several leaders, godly and not, most of them not. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah both served in politics. Uh, Moses and Joshua were political leaders. So we see time and time again, like, you can be in politics without, being, without getting caught up in a political spirit. And so this isn't a let's withdraw from everything, that way we don't get dirty by it. This is instead like, no, 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 let's, let's lean into these things, but let's do it in the right spirit, right? So let's reclaim those areas of influence in, inside of culture, but let's do it with a godly spirit. Let's not, let's not drop down to that level and, and bash and slander and, and backbite. No, 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 like let's bring God into it instead of, instead of withdrawing. Um, and so with that, Romans... Romans chapter 10, I was reminded of this week, chapter 10, verse 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. And so we want to have more faith in this season. As God is shaking things, as stuff is crazy, to say the least, um, we want to have faith in what God is doing, and we want to be close to his spirit to know how we should respond, and how we should move, and what we should say, and what we should do. Um, and even how we should apply our influence. But what I want to safeguard us against is we try to uh, av- avoid these different spirits for the purpose of continuing to build with God and not miss what he's doing, is I want us to be careful what we're, what we're hearing. So we know that hearing the word of God will build faith in our hearts, but I think the opposite is also true, that we could build faith in the wrong kingdom, which a lot of times would manifest itself as fear, us believing that the worst is going to happen, we are putting our faith in fear, in the wrong kingdom, that comes from, from listening to the types of things that, that spread fear. I think it's important to a level to be informed, but I think we need to be cognizant and conscious that when we're scrolling through Facebook or when we're watching the nightly news or whatever, if it's rooted in fear, it's not going to build faith. And if... Um, and in addition to that... W- when we watch or when we read those things, we also have to be able to filter that it's not just facts anymore. That was probably true at one time, but now so much of it, as we've moved to this kind of 24-7 news cycle and social media is infinite, you, you never get to the bottom of it. Like, you can just scroll forever. In a, in a world where, where those two things exist, we have to also be conscious that we're not just sharing um, facts, but we're, we're hearing people's opinions. And when we take those opinions and when people are telling us how to think about a thing and then we run with it, we haven't stopped to ask God what he thinks about a thing. And so the, so the real practical application, the, the take home from this is like, let's ask Holy Spirit about everything. And also let's, let's, not, let's not confuse opinion and facts. Uh, it's fine to be informed. It, it's great to know what, what is happening in the world so that we can ask God, God, what should I do in response? We're not supposed to live with our head in the sand and just say, oh, well, like, you know, God is sovereign, so I'll just sit back and he'll take care of it. No, 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 we're supposed to lean into it. And his sovereignty is partnered with our prayers. And so it's us praying, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that is his sovereignty at work. And so we're supposed to, supposed to be aware of what's happening, but not taking those opinions and running with them and saying, okay, well, now we need to cancel this or we need to boycott that or we need to make sure that this person leads us because then God's will will be done. 
I don't know, maybe that's how he's going to do it. But if we just take that because some radio host said it or some blogger said it, like we need to actually ask Holy Spirit what he's saying about it. And so that would be, um, that would be my, my final encouragement for you guys. Let's build faith by hearing the word of God and not just by hearing things that make us fearful or make us shrink back, but instead things that encourage us in the Lord. Amen? Great. Awesome. Good, good, good. Let's pray. Father, we need your help in this. We cannot do this alone. We will not do this alone. It would be wrong for us to do this alone. You have shown us in your word time and time again um, where there were people who nearly missed what you were doing um, because they thought they knew how to do it. They nearly missed what they were, they nearly missed what you were doing because uh, they thought they understood your ways. But we know that we can only understand your ways by your spirit. And thank God that you have given us your spirit. I pray that we would use it. That we wouldn't just, because we got it once, say, okay, we're good now for the rest of our life. But I pray that we would lean into it continually, moment by moment. Not just once a week, but every hour of every day. That you'd help us in our parenting. That you'd help us in our work. That you would help us in our our careers and in our life. And in our free time and in our leisure. Help us in politics and in education Help us in arts and entertainment. Help us in uh, healthcare, And help us in all these areas of industry that shape our culture. Lord, I pray that we would move forward in those things by the power of your spirit with your strategies. And that as 2020 continues and as your building only intensifies, you, we know that you are not finished. You are not wrapping up. You are just getting started. Use us. May we be found worthy to be a part of what you're doing in Jesus' name.